You know, everybody has their own preference for vacation. Um, some people love the beach. Some people like theme parks. Some people go to Vegas. Some people, I don't know. I know Carrie and I were mountain people. We like the mountains. We love being up there. Uh, you get up there, and to me, you're seeing creation at pretty close to what it was originally. You're seeing the untouched landscape, and you have this experience where you feel closer. You feel closer to to nature. You feel closer to other people. I mean, I've, I've never met somebody on a trail in the mountains who was rude. You feel closer to people. You feel closer to God. When you get up there, it's like you can just reach out and touch heaven. You just feel like you were that close. And, so we spend a week, usually when we go to the mountains, in the mountains. And we spend this week there having fun, communing with each other, communing with God. And then near the end of the week, we begin looking at this end of the week, knowing that we're going to have to come down. Knowing that at some point, we're going to have to leave the mountain behind and begin again. At some point, we'll return to level ground into the real world. But you don't quickly forget that, that mountaintop experience. You don't quickly forget what you learned there. And you hold on to it, wishing to have it again. And, you know, sometimes it's that you begin planning for the next one. You begin looking for the next one. And so this morning, I want to examine another mountaintop experience we found in Mark. We find in Mark chapter 9. Uh, Jesus has been dealing with some uh, testing from the Pharisees and, and from those who would like to, to get in. He's fed the 4,000. He has told the disciples that if anyone wants to follow him, they have to take up their cross. And then we come to Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. And I want us to see the experience here this morning and what it can tell us about our life today. I want us to see the place the mountaintop has in our life as believers. But, but most of all, I want to connect with the people in this experience. So in Mark chapter 9, let's look at this mountaintop experience that Jesus shared with three disciples. And it says there, it's starting in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transformed in front of them. And his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no longer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what he should say, since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Then suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel with the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us today. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there that day? Amen. Jesus has just given one of the toughest um, teachings he ever could, right? And one 
who wants to follow me, who wants to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Okay. And then he looks at three boys, Peter, James, John, and he says, come on. Y'all follow me. And they go up on the mountain. When I read this, the thing that I see here is that the mountaintop is an invitation only presence of God event. He invited these three men. Nobody else. We know from reading scripture that he had an entourage. We know he had at least 12 disciples, but that wasn't who was always with him. He had lots of people with him. There was an entourage that went with Jesus anywhere he went. So to be singled out to come up on this mountain with him was a big deal. This was an invitation-only thing. What he had for them that day was only for them. It wasn't for anybody else. He could have taken the crowd with him. He could have said, come on, guys, come see this. But he talked to Peter and James and John, and he said, come with me to the mountaintop. And when you get to the mountaintop, we begin to find that there are no distractions. There's no city lights. There's no noise of the crowds. There's no world shouting at you that you need to do this or you need to do that. When you get to the mountain, all you have is the disciples and Jesus. The mountaintop is that experience where you get there and there is you and there is Jesus. The focus is on Jesus. But it's invitation only. You walk into his presence, you walk into the presence of God when God calls you to it. That's so hard for us sometimes. It's hard for us to understand that sometimes God will call one person to the mountaintop, but not somebody else. God will call one person up, but nobody else. And they get there, and there's no distractions, and there's nothing in their way, and they see the things that God has for them, and they have this experience that they want to keep reliving. We see it all the time when, when, when youth go to camp. They come back and they are on fire because they have spent this week in, in study, in fun, together, and they hear these messages and they come back and they go, this is the life that I want to lead. And they are so on fire with what God would want them to do. And there is this mountaintop that they have been to and they can't wait until they get back because they want more of it. But the trick is you can't force a mountaintop experience. People try all the time. People try all the time to force that experience. If I just have the right music, if I just have the right service, if I just have the right people, if I just have the right setting, if I just have, and there's this whole long list we begin to check off. And we begin reading these books about how this great church did it and a revival happened. So if I do it that way, we'll have revival too. And we'll have a mountaintop again. And it'll be wonderful. And it'll be great. And people begin to chase the mountaintop. They begin to chase the experience. And they feel like they haven't truly worshipped unless they have that kind of experience. I don't know how many times I've been in situations where someone's come up to me during a worship service and say, man, I just wasn't feeling it today. And I'm going, why not? What were you looking for? 
No, I didn't have a smoke machine and there weren't any strobe lights. Sorry. But we had the worship of the true living God. That's what it takes. But people begin to force or try to force this experience and you can't do it. And that leads to an emotion chasing thing. When you're constantly chasing the mountaintop, it leads to that emotion chasing faith. For worship to be worship, I have to feel something. The book of Proverbs says the heart is deceitful above all things. I can't trust my feelings. My feelings tell me sin feels good, so it must be okay. The Bible tells me sin bad. Jesus good. But people begin to chase the mountaintop. I gotta have that feeling. I gotta have that experience. And I see people church hop to do that. They begin to say, well, I didn't find it here on this Sunday. Let me try this next church on this Sunday. Let me figure out where it is that I want to be. But the problem is the mountaintop experience is invitation only. The only way you can get there is if Jesus calls you there. And when Jesus has something for you that he wants you to have that's going to affect you in that way, he's going to affect you in that way. Here, when were we at Iglesia? Do you remember what year we were at Iglesia? 2004. We were... I got called because I was the big black guy that the kids liked. Um, their words, not mine. It was a Hispanic church in downtown Fort Worth, and they were looking for a youth minister to work with their kids. And they had lots of people come in. And my resume was the worst in the stack. I mean, it was down at the bottom. I hadn't even really finished. I had my bachelor's degree. I had just started my master's. My seminary was three hours away. All these things that were going on. They had people with PhDs apply. They had demons apply. They had all the people apply that were so much more qualified. And I was told the reason that they gave me the job and gave me the position was the kids said we really liked the big white guy. So, <laughs> but I remember it was a different culture. And they had never gone to youth camp before because of the culture. Because in that culture, if the youth were going to take part in something, their little brothers and sisters had to take part in it too. And if their little brothers and sisters were going to be there, mama and daddy were going to be there. And as a youth minister coming out of Anglo churches, it frustrated me to no end. And I've grieved it ever since we've left. Because I've seen it disconnect the opposite way in many churches where parents just aren't involved. And you miss that involvement. But they've never been to youth camp. And so when I brought it up, they all start playing this camping trip. And I'm like, no, 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 no. These kids are going to get on a van with me. And we're going to go to a camp. It happened to be Latham Springs. So we're going to go to a camp. And it was a very small camp that a church in East Texas was putting on. And I remember third night in, fourth night in, God called me from out. I was done. Carrie had to take the kids back to the cabin by herself because I was done. I was on the floor, prostrate in front of the altar to cry out to God because Jesus had brought me there. There was no other way about it. You had kids there who loved it, but they're looking at why is the big white dude blubbering like a fool on the ground? I mean, they're still, they still don't understand it, but Jesus had called me there. It was invitation only. It's why two different people
people can go to the same service and walk away with two different reactions. One walks away saying, man, that was the best service I've ever had in my life. And somebody else walks away going, huh? Wow. I could have stayed at home and watched Charles Stanley this morning. You know, it's the truth. It's the same reason why, how do I put this without sounding like there are many days where I get up here and I go, oh, that was horrible. Why did you even get in the pulpit today? And then somebody out here will say, that was exactly what I needed. And I'm like, no, because that's how it works. The mountaintop is invitational. Jesus calls you there when he has something for you. And that's the minute when he begins whispering things. Because the truth is the mountaintop is the place where Jesus is revealed the most. I love this story. I love how it pans out. These guys are told, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. And then he says, Peter, James, John, follow me. So they walk up the mountain. And when they get there, he's, he's transformed. When, when they get there, his clothes become radiant. There is this light and there's something different about him. And then suddenly, Elijah's there and Moses is there. Now, they didn't have Facebook. I've often wondered how they knew it was Elijah and Moses. I don't know how they knew that. It's one of those things that makes me go, hmm, how did they know that? Maybe, maybe, maybe they heard Jesus say, hey, Elijah, they Moses. I don't know, but they knew it was them. They're on top of the mountain. And there they are. And these are good Jewish folks. They know that Elijah didn't die he went to heaven in the chariot of fire. They know that Moses was buried by God himself. These are the two fellas on the mountain, right? The two fellas in the history of the world who have been taken care of by God himself at the end of their life. And they're on the mountain with Jesus. And Jesus is now glowing. If I started glowing up here this morning, y'all would probably leave. <laughs> he's glowing. He's got Elijah. He's got Moses. Everything's going on. And it says they're terrified. And because they're terrified, they say, or Peter says, not that Peter's always the one talking. Jesus, let us build a house for you. And for Elijah and for Moses, we should just stay here forever. Just stay. Because he was terrified. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what was going on. He's looking at this and he's seeing these things and he makes this, he makes this proclamation to Jesus. Let's stay. This is good for us, Jesus. I don't know if he believed that. He was terrified. This has got to be good for us in some way. It's terrifying me. It's scaring me to death. But I know God has something here for me because this is amazing. But it's also scary. Are we dead? I mean, right? 
I'm up here. These guys are gone from the earth for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Jesus is glowing, and we're the only three here. You took us. This was the rapture. Everybody else was left behind. They're back down there. Here I am. And then they hear a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And the other two are gone. Think about that. The two greatest figures in Jewish thought. The two greatest figures in the history of the Jewish faith. The two people they knew were the mouthpiece of God. Those two individuals were there on that mountain. And God says out of heaven, this is my son. Listen to him. Boom, they're gone. And Jesus is left by himself. Ooh. This is him. Jesus is it. He's the bee's knees. He's the one to listen to. Quit listening to Elijah. Quit listening to Moses. Quit doing those things. Jesus is what it's all about. On the mountaintop, we find ourselves closer to Jesus and we find his will more clearly. We begin to see who Jesus really is. On the mountaintop, we experience Jesus for who he is and not what he can do for us. On the mountaintop, the relationship becomes personal and we get that spiritual high. We feel our best. We don't have any doubts at all. When you're on the mountain, you don't care what's happening down below. When you're on the mountain, it doesn't matter. If God said, go move that mountain, I'm moving that mountain because I'm on the mountain and I know what I can do because God's here and he's showing me. <laughs> Not move the pulpit, move the mountain. But that's where it works. We find there in that. We're not doubting the power of God and we understand our place in the kingdom. Peter was terrified. Why was he terrified? Because he understood his place in the kingdom. This is Elijah, this is a Moses, and this is Jesus who was glowing and I am but a word. But it's got to be good. Jesus, can we build you a house? Man, the mountain is where we understand Jesus and see Jesus and we relate to Jesus in a way we never have before. But we cannot live on the mountain. You know, we, we try to hold on to it for as long as we can. We want that feeling. We want to understand. But the simple truth is we can't live on the mountaintop. You ever seen the show Christy? It was a good show back in the day. Uh, you know, as a school teacher, based on a book, school teacher in the Smoky Mountains. Smoky Mountains is Monty Carey's favorite place. So, in the Smoky Mountains, as she comes to this place out of the city, and she goes to a little town in a backwoods mission, and the show starts, and what she says, I wasn't prepared for life in these mountains. Because life in the mountains is hard. It's, it's too hard to live on the mountain. It wasn't that Jesus was being mean here either. Jesus didn't say, no, no, let's go. <laughs> Jesus kind of like a youth leader did the camp. Okay, it's time to go home. No, I want to stay. I want to go up the clubs more. It's, you know, let's go. And they go there. He wasn't, he wasn't being mean when he said, let's go back there. He, he wasn't... He wasn't trying to, to do something out of spite. Oh, you get to see a little bit of taste of it. 
No! It's too hard in this earthly body to live that close to a revealed Savior. One of my favorite songs in the hymn. He hideth my soul. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. And covers me there with his hand. That picture on the mountain with Moses, he said, just let me see you, God. He said, you can't see me, but you can see my back. Moses couldn't look at God. Why? Because it was too hard to be with God that way. And when he just looked at his back, God kind of got mooned by God. And he came down, and his face was glowing, right? That was just that long looking upon the back of God. We can't live that close to a revealed Savior in an earthly body. Because if we live there, we find that that our, our, our life becomes different. Mountaintops aren't for living on. They're, they're too hard to sustain. If we were constantly there on the mountaintop, we become too harsh on ourselves when we think. I used to make fun of, or us preacher boys, used to make fun of Jeremiah in the Bible because he was the crybaby prophet. That kid was always crying. But now when you think about it, you know why Jeremiah was always crying because he was always that close to God. And you get to that point and you see the sin and you see the holiness and you begin too hard on yourself. We can't live on the mountain. We begin to make our walk into something that's not. Because even if we're on the mountain, we're still in our earthly body. We're still going to fail. We're still going to fall. Temptation is still there. God was protecting us from ourselves by taking us down from the mountain. So, so like the disciples, we come down from the mountain. Because we live life in the valley. We're valley dwellers. And I don't mean California Valley. Valley girls back in the day. Our home is that mountain of Zion that we're continually headed toward, but until then, we live in the valley. And that's okay. Do you know what happens in the valley? Growth happens in the valley. The further you go up the mountain, the less vegetation you see. There comes a certain point where the timber line hits, and from there on out, it's just rock. There's nothing else there. Because growth doesn't happen up there. Growth happens in the valley. Life can't sustain itself up that high. Growth happens in the valley. Even for mountain dwellers, they grow their crops in the valley. That's where the water runs. That's where the, the, the nutrients are. That's where our life is best lived is in the valley and, and sometimes that scares us because we don't want to be in the valley we want to be in the mountain Carrie and I when we were homeless that time for that month the first place we stopped was a valley in Arizona we stopped at like 2 p.m. 
when we read about valleys in Scripture, we start to, to get a little concerned because, yeah, you don't walk through the valley in the shadow of death. What? I don't want to be in the valley. But there's an old TV show that some of you may know that Carrie's never heard of, but it's called Big Valley. Remember how that thing started? That big, luscious valley that shows up there, Big Valley. Growth happens there. Right? That's where the crops come in. That's where nourishment happens. When we are in the valley, we find ourselves being grown. We find ourselves being fed. We find ourselves being watered. We find ourselves being able to dig into what God has. And if the valley gets dark, we know the shepherd is there. He's there to save us. He's there to walk with us. He's relentless in his love for us. There's a song out. It's, it's a great song, but I don't like the words. Um, I know that's an oxymoron, right? <laughs> Reckless love. I like the theme, but I don't think God's love is reckless. But I do think his love is relentless. And if I stray and if I go away, he seeks me out. He'll leave everything else behind to come find me because he knows the valley can be dark. He knows that there are predators in the valley. He knows that the valley isn't always a safe place, but he knows that he is in control. And he knows that no matter what it is that is going on, that it is still his valley. You know, <laughs> Kent, when you asked me this week, what are you preaching on? And I gave you the text. I expected a certain song, and I was like, oh, he's not singing it. Whoops. You know what song it is? Life is easy when you're up on the mountain. God of the mountain. It's still God in the valley. It all belongs to him. You don't know that one? Huh. <laughs> now you gotta learn the song. Okay. Uh. He owns it all. And it doesn't matter if it gets dark. It doesn't matter if things aren't, aren't working the way we want them to work. God still owns the valley. It's still His. And He's still going to bring us through it. We're going to grow through it. I mean, when you think about the just pure act of farming, you grow something and cut it off. And then plant again and it grows. And it's that plowing under that puts the nutrients in. As that last part dies and begins to put nutrients in the soil that comes back up, we can only we can only grow when part of us dies. We can only grow as God cuts that part out and plows it back in and starts again. Growth happens in the valley. We live in the valley. In the valley, we're taken care of. I'm trying not to preach a whole other sermon, so. Because now, now I want to go off on Psalm 23, but I'm going to say that for later. It is hard <clears throat> to think about a mountaintop experience in our current situation sometimes, right? We look around and the world is the world is crazy. The world is crazy is the only word I can use. It's just 
And I'll, I'll be honest with some of y'all got concerned with my post last night when, when, I, when I said that uh, my heart hurts. My heart hurts because, and although it's not my fault, my heart hurts that in my first year here, we have to cancel youth camp, we have to cancel kids camp, we have to cancel fireworks, we have all these things going on. And that makes my heart hurt because those are things that people look forward to. It's definitely a valid. And so that's why I ended that post with, Lord, show me your will in these things. Because valleys are tough. You don't have enough daylight in the valley sometimes. The predators in the valley. The valley's where the lion lives, right? That's isn't that what the that isn't that what Peter says? The devil is prouncing around like a lion, looking to overtake. But the God of the mountain is still God in the valley. Maybe today. Maybe it's been too long for you since you had a mountaintop experience. <clears throat> Cry out to God. And he will answer. Shiloh, what's your verse? from BBS last year. I cry. Cry out to God. And the Lord saves me. You tell me that every day. Right? Puts you on the spot. The only reason I remember is because he tells me all the time. I cry out to God and the Lord saves me. Maybe it's time for you to have a mountaintop experience. Say, Jesus, I need it. You've been following along our Bible readings. We're in Job now. Talk about a valley. I mean, and Talk about some worthless friends. That's another, that's another. I mean, worthless friends. But he says, and I didn't like my text when I read it here the other day when I was getting ready. And he says, but I know my Redeemer lives. And on that day, I will stand before him. Cry out to Jesus. He will pull us up. Right even this morning, the valley's just hard. Maybe the ends aren't meeting. Maybe sickness is running rampant. Maybe, maybe something else is going on completely, but God is still God. He's still on his throne. Maybe this morning. You've never known Jesus as your Savior. If you have, it's not all. And I'll stand here and I'll and I'll and I'll have an invitation. You can come down and I will share that with you this morning. All you gotta do is sit for the trial and no Jesus, and we'll go from there. But whatever wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give it to him. Let's pray.
Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessing. 